as we begin the new year, uh, I kind of want to begin with giving you a big picture view of what I see might be our purpose as a church family during this season of ministry. And as I do that, I recognize that especially this time of year, there are people who might show up on a Sunday morning like this who are looking for a church home. And my hope is that what you hear as we go through this short series, and both myself and, and Brian and Bruce will all contribute, I hope that what you hear tells you a little bit about who we are as a church family. And, and if what you hear resonates in your heart, then maybe Melanie Park is a good place for you to plug in. If you are not quite that new, but still fairly new, maybe within the last year or two uh, to Melanie Park, maybe just long enough to not sure exactly how you fit into the life and ministry of this church, in, in a similar way, I too hope that you hear something that brings clarity to that question. So that what you hear helps you understand the important role that you do have in the life and ministry of this church. But then there are people like me who have been here going on several decades by now. <laughs> and so you know the drill, right? The, the routine of ministry has become a rhythm in your life. And that rhythm can be a good thing as long as you're continuing to grow in your faith and you're consistently engaged in the life and ministry of this church. But if that routine has become too familiar, it can actually be a barrier to where God is leading. Because sometimes we can wrongly assume that if that's the way it's always been done, then that's probably the way we should always do it. In some cases, that may be true. In many cases, it's not. Because ministry in the life of a church must change over time. And not because we're evolving to keep up with the latest ministry trends. Let me comfort you with that truth. That's not who we are, right? If you've been here very long, you know that's really not who we've ever been. I don't expect it to be who we will ever become. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a change that is necessary because of the unique needs of a specific people at a particular time in the life and ministry of this church. In other words, we're just trying to be faithful to where we see God at work in this church body right now. And that's what I hope to unpack a little bit, along with Brian and Bruce, over the next few weeks so you can get a sense of what that might look like. And as I do that, I want to be clear about two, two realities that have to exist in the life of our church. The first is what I'll call a global mission. A global mission is a shared responsibility among all, all Christians in every church worldwide. It is a divinely ordained mission to go and make disciples, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. That is the unchanging priority of Melanie Park Church no matter what season of ministry we may be in at any given time. 
but within that global responsibility, that global mission of making disciples is a unique responsibility of a local church. It's what I'll call a family commitment. This is a unique ministry to a specific people with particular needs. And that family commitment is different when you compare one church to another or really even the same church from one season to another. Our goal is to be faithful to that family commitment in the context of our global mission, to always make disciples, but to uniquely care for those disciples in different ways through the life and ministry of our church. So as we go through this, story, this series, Brian and I are going to use the analogy of a hospital. Because in many ways, we believe God has called Melanie Park Church to be a hospital for the hurting. A place for people to be rescued, to be restored, to be redeemed. That seems to be where God is uniquely at work in the life of our church And I say that in large part because of the conversations and life experiences that I've shared with many of you. People come from Melanie Park and always have for a variety of reasons, but everyone, to a person, everyone comes with a story. And for whatever reason, those stories have been filled with some particularly difficult and painful life experiences. So in light of that, it is really important for this church to be a safe place for the hurting to be restored. And if we're honest with ourselves, at one level or another, we all need to be restored. Our salvation is an ongoing work of redemption. It's a process that's ongoing, in fact, will not be complete until we see our Savior face to face. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it in that day of salvation when we see him face to face. Until then, we are all looking to be restored, to be rescued to be redeemed. So my prayer is that God might use this short series to unite our hearts in a shared commitment to this pursuit. Faithfully committed to making disciples, but caring for those disciples in different ways. Caring enough to hear the story. Loving enough to be meaningfully engaged. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just said it, so now I want to do it. I want to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ that as a church family, as we enter into this new year and consider where you are uniquely at work in the life of this body, that we might be faithful to where you are leading. Lord, I pray that what is spoken from your word might resonate in our hearts so that we could faithfully carry out the work of ministry that you intend us 
to be about. Lord, help us to be a safe place for those who are hurting to be healed, to be restored, to be redeemed. And if we're not one of those people, that we would be committed to being on the front lines and standing with those who are. Caring enough to listen to their story. Loving enough to be meaningfully engaged. Lord, hear our prayer. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So many of you know I spent about 15 years uh, working at University Medical Center where I began my career as a physical therapist and ended up serving in hospital administration. It was really in that role as a hospital administrator that I began to understand the, the powerful impact of a global mission, even in healthcare. Because a global mission is often what dictates the culture of an organization. For example, our commitment, our global mission at, uh, at UMC at that time was to be the people who were committed to delivering compassionate care. No matter what department you worked in, that was your goal, was to be a person who delivered compassionate care. That's why you see even today on all their commercials the tagline that says, service is our passion. We used to instruct and try to lead our employees by saying, hey, look, we want you to go and care for patients as if they were one of your own family. To care for others as if they were one of your own. And if we're honest, you and I would hope every single hospital that we ever walk into shares the very same commitment, right? But we also know that some do it better than others. And I'm convinced that that's true when you see people buy into the mission, the more consistently that mission will be seen. And what is true in the hospital is equally true in the church. I feel quite confident in saying that nobody here this morning would disagree with the mission to go and make disciples. I mean, it's a clear command of Jesus, right? One of his last words to his disciples as he gathered them together, kind of the, the marching orders before he ascended to heaven, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and lo, I am with you always. No one here would disagree with the very clear command given to Jesus, given from Jesus to his disciples, which includes us. The question is, are you engaged in that mission? It will only be a pattern in our church when it is consistently practiced by our people. Until it becomes something that we all buy into, it will not be consistently evident in how we live. So let me just take a little bit of time to, to share with you just some of the things that I think we can do just through the course of the rhythm of ministry in, in the life of this church. And this is not complicated, okay? <laughs> this is not intended to be an exhaustive list. This is what I would consider kind of low-hanging fruit. These are the things that should be easy for all of us within the context of the life and ministry of being plugged in 
to a church family. The first thing is what we're doing right now. Corporate worship on Sunday morning is a part of what it means to make disciples. Corporate worship on Sunday morning is a part of what it means to make disciples because worship is at the heart of what disciples do. We faithfully follow that which we consistently worship. And so devoted disciples are going to be consistently engaged in the life of corporate worship within any church, no matter where they live. This is the time that we set aside to, to recalibrate our minds to the truths of Christ in a world filled with deception. This is the time that we recalibrate our hearts to the purpose for which we have all been called. What we learn should resonate into what we sing, which should then impact how we live. That is, by definition, what it means to make a disciple, taking what we learn so that it resonates in our heart and then is expressed in how we live. That being said, Sunday morning is only effective based on what happens in the course of a normal week because discipleship is built on relationships. You can't have discipleship without meaningful relationships. That's why we consistently encourage people to be involved in small group settings, whether that's a, a Sunday morning AVF or, or small groups during the week, but just time where you're together with people in a setting where you can be real with one another in a meaningful way. Because you cannot consistently grow in Christ if you are not faithfully living in community. I am convinced of that truth, not because it's my opinion, because I believe it's the declaration of Scripture. We were created in the image of the undivided fellowship of the Trinity. In other words, we were created from community for community. We were divinely designed. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to see how we were divinely designed to be interdependent upon one another. It tells us that, that God places each of us in the body just as he desires. That he equips each of us with a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. So that we might all serve together for the building up of the body of Christ, living out the gospel of Christ in the world in which we live. God made it clear from the very beginning when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So in order to grow in our faith, we must faithfully live in community. Discipleship is built around relationships. It's caring enough to listen to another person's story and loving enough to be meaningfully engaged in that story. That's at the heart of the purpose of why we exist as a church. And so as we kind of look into that a little deeper this morning, I want to focus on what I consider to be the essential ingredient for you and I to live that out faithfully in the life of this church. Something that has to exist in order for this to be a safe place 
for those who are hurting to be healed. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus tells that I believe speaks directly to this for our church family. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, if you'll read along. And he, Jesus, also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, Jesus says, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The key to understanding this parable is explicitly stated by Jesus in verse 9. Look at it again. He told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So there are really two issues here that he points to. The first is that they were righteous in their own eyes. Jesus addressed this same group back in chapter 16, and there he describes them as those who justified themselves in the sight of man. In other words, their righteousness was relative to other people. I'm okay just so long as my sin is not as bad as your sin. You see the evidence of that in his prayer. Listen to what he says. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers. Unjust adulterers. And even the tax gatherer. But if you look at that prayer, you have to be honest and say, man, that guy's making it real easy on himself. Notice he left out things like gossip. Unkind words, lack of compassion. He overlooked his own sin by identifying the worst, the worst in others. And not only did he sin less, he goes on to explain how he obeys more. The law of Moses required fasting only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. But this man goes over and beyond. He fasts twice a week. The law only requires that you tithe on certain items, but this man goes over and beyond. He tithes on everything he owns. His righteousness was both based both on greater obedience and lesser sin. But here's the key, compared to other people. This inevitably leads to the second issue of the parable and probably the main point. He looked at others with contempt. That word contempt is a very strong word in the original language. It means to despise. 
This is someone who doesn't want others to do well because their righteousness is a threat to their own redemption. Instead of finding ways to lift others up, they're really good at putting others down. They judge from a distance in order to justify themselves. Now, keep that picture in mind and now compare that to what you see in this other man, the tax gatherer. Verse 13, but the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The contrast between these two men is unmistakable. The Pharisee felt superior. The tax gatherer felt unworthy. The the Pharisee stood proud and puffed out his chest. The tax gatherer beat his chest in sorrow. And I want you to notice this man's prayer again in verse 13. I'm going to read it to you as it is literally written. It says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. Instead of assuming that he's better than anyone else in the room, he's assuming he's the only sinner and nobody else can compare to him in that regard. But no one needs God's mercy and grace more than he does. And since he can boast in nothing, he can despise no one. See, that's the key. Since he can boast in nothing, He can despise no one. If we want to create a culture of compassion in the life of this church, that must be a shared conviction that we all have. The only way for this to be a safe place for those who are hurting to be healed is for each of us to assume that no one needs God's mercy and grace more than me. I can boast of nothing. Therefore, I can despise no one. I really think this is consistent with what we see in men of faith that we would all hold in high regard, the Apostle Paul being one of them. Listen to what he says to young Timothy, as he's beginning his life in ministry, and Paul has been living it for some time now. And this is what he says in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason, I found, here's the word, mercy. In order that in me, as the, again, foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. What's true in the life of Paul needs to be true in the life 
of every disciple, including you and I. Because remember, our salvation is an ongoing work of redemption. Everyone here is a work in progress. Without exception, we all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hang-ups. And we all need healing. Amen? As I thought about it this week, I thought, now I understand why the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. Because as God's people, we understand that we are in desperate need of those mercies every single day. And the more we experience the reality of God's mercy, the more willing we are to give it away. There is a direct correlation between our humility before God and our compassion toward people. And discipleship at its core depends on humility. It's the conviction that I am constantly growing in my faith, that I am a lifetime learner. For as long as I live, there will be hurts that need to be healed. There will be habits that need to be broken. There will be hang-ups that become obstacles to my faith. And because of that, because of that, I can come alongside you because we have something in common. We both need Jesus. We both need Jesus to do a work of redemption in our lives. We're striving together, striving to live faithfully in a sin-cursed world. And we are equally dependent upon God's mercy and grace I, the foremost of all. So if you're looking for a church home, I do pray that you find this to be a safe place. And not because we're a perfect church. We are filled with flaws. Because this is a church of imperfect people. But I hope that you find that these imperfect people are striving to grow in their faith and knowledge of who Christ is and what he accomplished. That's what we talked about just this morning. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our stronghold. And only in him and because of him, we will not be greatly shaken. If you're new to Melanie Park and you're trying to figure out how you fit in, let me encourage you to move towards relationships. And if you're not involved in a Sunday morning ABF, that's an easy on-ramp. Please, let me encourage you just to get to know people in that smaller setting that you just can't have conversations like that when we're together in big church. (laughs) And if you're not involved in in ABF, then please let us help you get involved in a small group during the week. But for those of you like myself who have been here for a while, let me ask you to invite them in. Don't make this an issue that church leadership needs to solve. How about the church body resolves the issue by inviting people in? And not just to your small group, maybe just have them over for dinner. Because remember, this is all about being a people who care enough to listen to other people's story 
and love enough to be meaningfully engaged in that story. Our mission is clear. Go and make disciples, equipping them for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. We have been called to cultivate a culture of compassion, to be a safe place for people to be rescued, to be restored, to be redeemed. We're a hospital for the hurting. And we all, to a person, find healing in the promises of God. And so that's where we continually want to go as we go together to the great physician who ultimately has all the answers. And we recognize that life this side of heaven will be filled with difficult moments. Some more than others, but in all of them we need each other. And if nothing else, we need to remind each other that this is not what we're living for. That there will be a day when that promise that Jesus made will ultimately be fulfilled and he will make all things new. And that process that we're all in right now will be complete. And we live eternally in the presence of a God in whom we depend on for his grace and mercy, which is new every morning. And praise the Lord for that. So as Brian comes up, we're going to sing that last song, Living Hope, again. And I hope that you will consider the words of that song in the context of our message this morning. And let me do this one thing as we finish up. I'm going to let them get up there so that you can not pay attention to them and pay attention to me. There's a passage in Philippians that I consistently gravitate to because I, I think that it speaks boldly to the unity of purpose that I've been trying to communicate this morning about what I believe we're called to be as a church body. Listen to what uh, Paul writes to the Philippians in uh, uh, chapter 2. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come to see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then he goes on in chapter 2 and says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ if any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same Spirit, intent on one purpose. And then listen to how he describes that purpose, and I hope that you hear it line up with what we said this morning. Here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility of mind, let each of you regard the other as more important than himself. Not looking merely for his own personal interests, but for the interests of others. That's who I believe God has called us to be. And so as we sing together and finish this morning, let the song become a prayer. And let the truth of those words resonate in your heart to the point that it influences how you live when you walk out those doors. And may we be faithfully committed to living that life together as a body of Christ on 66th in Indiana 
in Lubbock, Texas. Church family, I love you. And I am deeply loved by you. And I'm excited about what God is going to do through the life and ministry of this church as we share life together meaningfully to the praise and glory of his name. So go in peace and serve him well. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.